0: upped both my impatience and my patience if that makes sense so i I lean it i lean into each one more rather than perhaps um being too quick to move to one or the other in the wrong environment
1: hi welcome to the building a better future podcast stories from climate tech founders So, hi everyone, and welcome to Building a Better Future Stories from Climate Tech Founders. For the next eight weeks, we're going to be chatting to founders from early stage startups and understanding where their love for sustainability began, what led them to take action and set up on their own, and what challenges they've faced in those first few years as a founder. I hope that these stories are going to be relatable to other founders who are on a similar journey motivational to anyone considering founding their own startup and informative to anyone who wants to make the transition into climate tech and wants to hear about the cool things that people are doing for those of you who don't know me i'm cherry Thwain. i'm founder of above and beyond recruitment we partner with climate tech startups and we help them to recruit the best talent to grow and scale out their product and engineering teams and today I'm joined by Mark Corbett, who back in 2019 founded a company called Thrust Carbon with his co founder, Kit Brennan. And incidentally, it's actually the company's third birthday today. So I'm absolutely honoured he's choosing to spend it with us. They are on a mission to make travel effortlessly green. Their software platform allows companies to understand, reduce and offset their travel emissions and their insights have been shared in publications like The New York Times, The Telegraph, Reuters and very recently on BBC News. Alongside running and growing Thrust Carbon, Mark also does a lot of mentoring, coaching and training for young people and for aspiring founders. So I'm very grateful that he's giving us an hour of his time, um, especially on the business birthday. And I'm sure he's going to have a really interesting journey to share with us. So, Mark, welcome.
0: Thank you so much, and, and for such a wonderful intro. So, um, thank you, Jerry. Thanks.
1: No, my pleasure, my pleasure. Um, so, to kick off, um, I'd like to start from the beginning. If you're happy to do that, can you take me back to those early years of your life, upbringing, education, and sort of where that passion for sustainability and entrepreneurship came from? If you if you can identify a source for it.
0: Yeah. Uh, so I think I'd say that the passion for. Entrepreneurship came before sustainability, right? Nice. I think, and that's by virtue because I didn't think of myself as someone who was able to tackle the climate crisis or indeed any other big picture challenge we have in the globe today. I I was a you know, young kid uh, with no idea what I was going to do in my life. I, I studied philosophy at King's College London because I, did, I knew I loved philosophy. So that was a really simple decision. And I had at least enough good people around me who said, you know, do something you love rather than um, try and do a degree that you think will build a career. Right. Um uh, and so not only did I have a great time at university and it was it was it was easy it? because I loved the, the degree so the challenges were, were fun ones to take on um, but as anyone who's done a humanities degree knows you have space in your diary uh, which a lot of people use for either reading and learning or uh, drinking and debauchery um, uh, I, I won't say which one I leaned more into but I, I also I also I also then found myself in the entrepreneurship world by virtue of I, I, I was I just I loved the friends I was making I love University, and then I was like, Oh my god, I need to do something practical, I don't know what that is. Hmm. And so, you know, by saying yes to stuff, I ended up in the social enterprise world in London in the mid in the noughties and found myself uh, being immersed in like these what I didn't know were brand new concepts in, in terms of things like lean startup, and business model generation, and Canvas. And I was like, Oh this whole business thing is really cool <laughs> and like uh and then i started doing all these little projects that led to more impacts and, and suddenly you start seeing what you can actually achieve and then you start seeing how you scale rather than going from hey i can't solve the climate crisis which obviously no individual is going to do you know uh, it's kind of quite a monumental shift from a lot of people um, but then to seeing your role in that Right, so, so that was really the origin, uh, and then and then sustainability came uh, actually by working with um, young kids to begin with, and just trying to kind of uh, help kids who didn't necessarily have the same background that I did, and. I, again, I'm so nervous and had no idea if I would actually be able to, be, to do anything that would actually help people who come from you know, backgrounds where they're exposed to getting violence, right, which thank God I was not exposed to as a 10-year-old, 12-year-old, 15-year-old. <laughs> and yeah it all kind of came from there amazing
1: so actually those kind of initial sparks of entrepreneurship and yeah. going out and doing something for yourself came more from the people you associated with and the friends you made and the environment you were in at university more so than it did from family or, or anything like that oh, I think.
0: Oh, uh, massively, massively so. Uh, uh, and again, you know, I- incredibly grateful to friends who encouraged me. Um, also, the friends who said I couldn't do stuff, like almost as good as the ones who, who, who actively encouraged me. Right? I'm sure every, everyone listening has had moments where someone goes, no, Sher- uh, Jerry, you couldn't possibly do that. Or like, you know, um, or like, oh, that sounds cool, but this type of person does that, not, not you or, or whatever it might be. And, and sometimes like I, hearing that stuff, it gives me a kick up the ass. That is like well, why can't I do that right like what, what what makes you think I can't achieve that or build that or create that or deliver that so yeah, yeah I, I responded positively to some of those challenges as much as I did the support from from friends as well
1: amazing and then how did the idea for thrust carbon come about and how did the passion for kind of social impact and social enterprise kind of spin into sustainability and climate?
0: Yeah, so I guess when you're in the social enterprise world, you're really exposed to like fundamental cracks in society on all levels, and then also for for me, I, you know, I ran a social enterprise at university. Uh, that started off like, you know, really piddly with not much going on to actually, you know, um, we ended up turning over like £50,000 on an annual basis, uh, you know, whilst we were a group of students all really just cobbling together and trying to make an impact to the community. And again, we learned how to fail fast, right? We, at one point, you know, we had 200 students all working together. We launched 40 projects, of which maybe six were successful. Uh, And then that turned out to be a massive success. So again, like age 20, 20 what? no, yeah, 20, I was like, oh, okay, sure. So, to like, who knew that the first thing you tried to do isn't going to be a big success and you need to, you actually need to embrace failing fast, right? And, And I think, you know, people talk about failing fast all the time, but do people actually practice it? Do people actually, um, express that vulnerability like you know to, to be on a podcast like this right and then say hey this is what i did um, these are the three things i got totally wrong i ran out of money or i i didn't i didn't know anything about sales so then i learned how to do sales or i didn't know how to code everything so I didn't know code or I, I taught myself to you know etc cetera, etc cetera, right yeah. um so yeah i'm quite exposed to that uh and then um and then uh, and then I was in the education world for a long time and that was a, a, a big passion to me. Big problem in education though, like odds are all products you're making are necessity products and everyone wants them and everyone wants to pay for them, but like, I'm uh, sorry, everyone wants them, but do they want to pay for them? Right. And that's a, that's a real obstacle in education that you tend not to have in other industries, right? Like if you don't have a design tool to make something, like you're going to go out and find a design tool and you're already in a buying mindset that is either on a free version of it to give it a go. Or or i like, I need a tool that's going to help me create something that's better than anything else I've ever created. Right. Um, so, challenge there. Um, so, I was in the education world and then fell into travel because I had this huge network of, of uh, the young people who were all trying to build their careers. I, I worked with a really good friend of mine who I met in the co working space. You know, and, uh, you know, we were friends because we loved coffee. We spoke about investors in London, the pros and cons of everything in the startup world. Uh, and then he started running some events and was like, like, hey Mark, you know you've got a wicked, stupid audience. Can you bring some people in? So yeah, absolutely. And so we started running Hamster which was this. Just awesome! Uh, It was basically the largest student tech festival in Europe. You know, we were sponsored by, you know, Tesla, Nike, um, startups up and down the uh, uh, Europe, Uh, and we had, you know, like forty-six or seven percent of our attendees were were young women as well. So, like, it's really helping people to break into tech whilst they're in their early stage of their career. Sadly, Mm -hmm. COVID did make that one a slight challenge to scale afterwards. I'll circle back to that one when I've got more time and space. But yeah, suddenly I was in the travel world, and then. Um, I say yes to things as much as I can Uh, Kit invited me to come to a hackathon um anybody who's listening who doesn't know what a hack for this is really just like a couple of days immersive work, problem solving, and then have a solution at the end of it. He invited me and I went, Hell no, do you know how busy we are? <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to spend a weekend working on something that isn't moving the needle forwards in terms of actually what our projects are. Um but it was in Madrid. Uh and he's not the, he's not a sales guy. He gave me a really good sales pitch and I was like, Okay, I really appreciate this. What's the worst that can happen? We spend um, you know, a couple hundred bucks on flight, hotel uh, maybe we worked really hard and, and we don't win anything but it'll be a good experience and you know we'll have fun right um, we ended up winning um with a fun little tool um and we we're like oh we, we can maybe build this again it's hella boring but maybe we could do it uh, and the organizers actually went oh my god we've enjoyed having you here so much why don't you come to our next one? And the next one's on climate change. Oh, okay. Oh, that's much more interesting. Um, and then we of course, were like, oh, we're not gonna win two in a row. <laughs> uh, we did We did end up winning two in a row. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. um, and, and, and then that was the foundation of the business, right? Uh, but, but then again, like, it's the foundation of the business. Literally what we built there in a two day event is responsible for Between like one and 3% of all of our revenue. Wow. But it was building that tool that helps us then understand all the big picture problems in the industry so we were looking at offsetting and people flying like why don't people do it well actually like there's shitty data um oh, sorry um there's poor data uh you, you'll be that right. uh poor data it's then not interconnected there's no trust transparency how do you get the right data in the right place how do you actually influence people to make better decisions while traveling and then you dive further into it right um, there are so many industries that are decarbonizing travel is going the other direction yeah. right so when we think about the world in which we live and trying to hit climate goals we have an, an entire industry that is fundamentally going the wrong way and then you start thinking about it was yeah. like well the panic button is right we stop travel. Mm-hmm. is the world a better place if we stop travel no I Right. You think about opening minds, uh, reducing, um, you know, uh, uh, problems in diversity, problems in, in, in cohesion in society, um, you know, stereotyping people, um, not appreciating the world in which we live, um, the people with which we've grown up with, and all these things. It's so good for that. And it's so good for growing your revenue, right? Like, if you are running a business, sometimes you need to get in a room with people and hash out a deal or, you um, Whatever it might be right? so how do we fundamentally reverse this this wrong trend in an industry and I'm a big um, I'm the big eat your frogs guy, right? Like, so do the hardest thing first. And and, and so, when I look at decarbonizing different industries, travel is right up there, and arguably the hardest one. So, I felt like a perfect place to start. And then, you know, like, I'm not the guy who's going to build, you know, a carbon capture solution. I'm not going to um, rescue the planet with a mad invention. That's just not the skill set that I have. But, data, technology, yeah okay now we're talking and then how do we scale this like how do we build a solution that actually drives and delivers behavioral change how do we apply nudge theory this is the kind of stuff that um gets me excited every single day right yeah. and then so-, so suddenly now we've got problems um we've got potential solutions and we've got massive desire and appetite to bring those things together and deliver them and you know arguably that entirely happened by accident mm-hmm but also you know one of the reasons why we won the hackathon I, you know borderline cheats here right? I've run like 30 hackathons so it's like I, I'm coming into these with a really unfair advantage again other people you hustled them <laughs> and I, I almost felt bad about it not really but almost because again it's like it's that luck but like because of all the hard work that went into it that other people don't ever see, right? Yeah. And then we kept building products and people would go, oh my God, how on earth did you build that in 48 hours? And I'm like, well, I did like this much and my business partner is insane and did like all of this. Like you couldn't have built that in this time. It's like, yeah, we really did because like we're so used to just turning turning things out right? and, and doing that first iteration and then even doing a second iteration um, during the event and then Knowing what success looks like, right? It's mm. it's not just all in functionality, it's actually showing the benefits, right? It's uh it's the design, how does it look? It's a it's a fun brand, right? Yeah. Um, you know, to anyone listening to this who's wondering how you do your early pitches and win clients, for the love of God, don't do a live demo. Like the product is early, you're figuring things out, stuff breaks all the time. Sometimes you might just have a slightly dodgy Wi Fi connection, right? There's a million and one things that go wrong with live demos, stick it in a press presentation show me a video and show me the live demo when I'm already in a buying mindset. And I just want to know it's there and it works. And that's that's the final straw between me then, you know, purchasing your, your products or, or whatever.
1: And how did you know Kit? So Kit phoned up and, and invited you to this hackathon in Madrid in the first place. How, where did you guys meet and how did that relationship develop? <laughs>
0: Yeah, so that was in an accelerator slash kind of co-working space. Um, funny enough, attached to our old university. So shout out to the King's 20 Accelerator uh, if you're a King's College London you know alum or student. It's a really cool program. It's not like a lot of other programs. So you get people who are still in university or just finishing kind of on it. So you get a lot of really fresh entrepreneurs who are you know, often doing their first business. Um, but then you will also have people at this time point like myself or Kiss, uh, you know, we were we were. Seven, eight years out of university, we'd already built some things with some success, some failures. Uh, you know, he was in the early founding team um, Go Cardless as well. You know, he's been through textiles with another business, and um, I've been through other accelerators as well. And it's like that mishmash mish of people, yeah, uh, is is really awesome, right? And and again, I, I love mentoring because it sharpens your mind as well. Like selfishly, it will help you be so much better as an entrepreneur that uh, if you are sitting down with other people and one fundamentally open and vulnerable, this is what I got wrong. I wish I'd looked at this differently, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it actually reminds you when you go, oh yeah, I'm talking about the business model canvas, but like, have I done more myself here? <laughs> right, a, a, lot, a lot of people forget the basics. Right, like when was the last time you actually read Lean Startup? Like when was the last time you actually nailed down the core principles? When was the last time you refreshed your mindset on Agile? When was the last time you actually looked at your products and reminded yourself of the amazing quote that I mean, everyone in the space knows that you know if you're not embarrassing your first version of your product then you've launched too late, right? But like are you actually doing this are you actually embodying it because it's, it's terrifying it feels awful when you show people and you're just there like oh, oh, it's going to be so much better than this but it will be and in such a short period of time but if you don't show that first version then that was. That launch is always moving further away. Yeah.
1: So, so you and Kit both gained some yes. really valuable experiences from different areas. Had a friendship anyway that was very rooted in yes. kind of startup, business, growth, ideas, innovation. Yeah, Accidentally won both of the hackathons. <laughs> Came up with the oh, kind well, of MVP. intentionally.
0: And intentionally, one. Uh, accidentally, perhaps, were there. Uh, but uh, yeah. And then, at what point did you
1: sit down and go, right? Let's actually turn this into something. And and you had, what did that look like in those first few months in terms of getting it off the ground, funding it, the practicalities?
0: So funny enough, it was again. It was uh, sometimes decision making is so easy right? And and I'm a big fan of if if you're struggling with decisions, it's usually because you don't have good information or enough information around you uh, or enough understanding of what the outcome should be, right? So everything gets murkier and murkier and then the decision gets harder and harder. Having gone through a hackathon where we won and we had a cool product and we literally went, we could build this. Like we we could probably make a little bit of revenue off it and probably not do much. So like just sits in the background and ideally ticks over a little bit of a second income stream, something like that. And it was like, do we want to build that? Maybe. We'll see. Right? Like not excited, uh, but a could do option. Um, uh, and, and fun fact by the way, I have a I have a folder in my drive that is just a zombie project. It's it's every project that I've thought about launching that I haven't launched or tried to launch, failed, etc. And they all sit there for reference. So anytime um, yeah, and I really encourage other people to do so anytime you have, you suddenly have more capital or you have a different network that has different skills or whatever it might be, go back to your zombie projects and go, well, that project was really hard then, is not hard now, Or that project that was too early for the market, we're getting close. Mm. Um, Uh, And anyway, that went in the zombie project. um, And then we went to the other hang on. And as we we were getting closer to finishing, like eyes on the prize, focused on winning. um, Again, this might sound really obvious, but a piece of feedback I give a lot of entrepreneurs that regularly I get told about afterwards about how important it is. It's like when I turn up to competitions, like, you know, whatever, you win some, you lose some, right? You've got to do more and increase your failure rate to to increase your winning rate. But when I'm there, all I'm thinking about is winning, right? Nothing crosses my mind other than we're going to win from the start to the very finish. And it is a laser like focus, but you see the difference, right? Because again, there'll be so many people who are listening who will go, oh my God. Yeah. You know, that pitch I did yesterday, like I was good but I was stressed about investment or I was thinking about some family stuff or I had other things on my mind or like, you know, it was last doing the pitch because I was pitching for something else. And it's completely different. And it's like, yeah, we all fall into that trap. So how do you double down and get that laser like focus that means in that hour or two days, nothing else enters your mindset unrelenting focus and drive to to get it over the line. Um, so again, that's very like you know, but it, hopefully that's helpful for people listening. Um,
1: and how do you because uh, literally yeah. what will stop a lot of people doing that is that self-doubt creeping in. That yeah, oh, but yeah. but I couldn't do that. So so how do you how do you put that to one side to give yourself oh, that baseline focus?
0: It is hard, Um, you know, there's so many good tips for this, like success diaries that remind you of things, gratitude diaries, you know, similar but slightly different. Um, you know, uh, sometimes it's like stripping away noise, uh, you know, for me, like I love big headphones and and music that helps me focus. And then I'm like, you know, try and tunnel vision my task, um, you know, and again, at events, um, one thing I do, that's maybe a good thing and a bad thing is like, I think I'm good at ignoring emails and just turning them off. Um, so that doesn't distract me. It does also get me in trouble because some people are like, Hey, why didn't you respond to my emails? I'm like, well, why didn't you call me? it's important call me um but yeah like i have a million and one priorities and sometimes you emailing me to ask um, a small question or even a you know really important question it, 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 you know and then sometimes that does get missed so it's, it's pros and cons um uh, but yeah the, the self-doubt is a, is a is a real kicker and it, it is always there like it's always always there like it's always a threat to be there and a lot of the time it's just it's just like it's acknowledging it and going cool like yeah, I might totally still fail, right? Like success rates in your third year look significantly better than in your second year and significantly better in your first year. It's fundamentally why the business has failed. One, people. So I'm one of those, right? And then if other people in the business are dragging us down, then again, whose responsibility is that? Well, realistically, mine. Um, you know, so you, you know, like right, focusing on the good, it only helps, right? And it gets easier, right? Like we have an awesome team, right? We put so much time into recruiting, a supporting team. That's acknowledging sometimes you get people who don't fit the culture and vice versa, um, and they don't last, right? Um, and, and nor would they want to, right? Like it's a two-way street. This is a very long way of answering your question. I really no,
1: no, that's no good. Really good, and I love that about you know how how you kind of hear that voice, acknowledge that voice of self doubt, but put it out of the picture and compartmentalize. Make yourself yeah. indestructible.
0: That's yeah, I yeah. love
1: that. And and in those when kind you of get first- busy
0: as well, it can actually help because yeah. you're just like I don't have time for you. Like like I just don't have time for you. Like you can be wherever you want to be. There's no time. Um no, I think the hardest is the hardest time is definitely if you're going, Hey, I want to build a business, but I don't have an idea, I'm not sure what I want to do, or I don't know how to find a co founder. Like that's where it's definitely at its strongest. And again, that's where I just like just get out there. Like just go, like you know, sit in a co-working space, go chat with people over the kitchen in the bar, um, share problems. Don't hide anything. Like I don't like when entrepreneurs are like, oh, it's in stealth mode, or I don't talk about my business. I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. Well, see you later. Like yeah. I've got nothing. I've got nothing to add or contribute. That's what you're saying. So you'll get no value from me. Like right? um, tell people, hey, I'm going to go build a climate business. I'm looking at data. I'm looking at offsets, I'm looking at um, sustainable aviation fuels, I'm in education on the or design, whatever, I, I, and again, like I'm not in finance. But if you say, Hey, Mark, can I like I'm building this? And, I'm, and I get excited, and I'm like, oh, I mean, like, can I introduce you to some people? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, true.
1: If you're open, other people will be open back. And then that's how you, yeah, that's how you get that interesting input, I suppose, into the business. And in those first kind of few months then from you guys, you said it was an easy decision to know that this is what you wanted to do and this is what you wanted to build. What did those first like few, yeah. you know, dirty in the trenches, roll your sleeves up months look like yeah, from yeah. You know, day zero to getting it off the ground?
0: Yeah, I guess so, so to clarify, one of the reasons why it was so easy, right, was because we decided not to do it at that other event. And this felt so different. And it was, it felt like we were scratching the surface. It felt like everything could get deeper and better and stronger. And every time we posed a question, like, or, you know, it's that hypothesis of, of, of the lean startup. We go, you know, I imagine if this is the case, this is the case. And we kept asking those. And the answers were like, nope, it doesn't exist. Or like, people can't do this. It doesn't work. It's broken. And you're like, oh, okay so none of this exists okay what if, and if we can do this can we do okay uh, and consistent user testing right so um we're then in a strange position because we're now also doing all of our other businesses and work, we're super excited by this idea. Again, kind of, we're on the plane and we're going. We're going to do this, aren't we? We're a hundred percent going to do this. And then it was like, but it's not just offsetting, right? We're going to go much deeper. And it was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We need to figure out how deep we can go. And then it's like, how do you build that structure behind that research? Um, figuring things out, With getting on the phone. You can't just sit in a room and do this. Uh, you know, we we um, um, we met a strategic investor in the space, and we pitched to them. Um, the vet, like literally the earliest version of what we had without building anything and um, you could, we could feel where they were uh, reticent to move forward and then we could feel all the bits where they were really exciting and there was so much value in them. Giving us money at that point would have been bloody points. I don't know what I would have spent it. Um, so again, like people can you've got to get learning from absolutely everything and not necessarily do everything as that like arbitrary like success fail it's you're always succeeding and always kind of failing as you go through yeah. this right
1: so um, even in those pitches where you don't get the money you learn from how somebody responds to your idea your service your product about how you need exactly. to improve it and change it and yeah,
0: yeah. Exactly. Um, and then, you know, market conditions, ignore them. Um, we were essentially winning our first client as COVID kicked in. Uh, wow. Our client literally went bankrupt uh, as we were about to sign everything, closed the doors. And it's now, you know, March the, um, you know, 12th or whatever it is, you know, essentially less than six months after we st- we were at the hackathon and, um, and it was like, okay, we're in travel. We're like, okay, no one can travel anywhere. We don't know how awful COVID is going to be. Um, there are quotes like 70% of travel management companies will go under. You know, business travel will never, ever return. Um, the world will look completely different. And it's really easy to then panic. Right. Yeah. We didn't panic. We focused on buildings. We did the basics. Me and my business partner spoke every single morning. We did a stand-up at 9 a.m. every single day to make sure we were both, you know, like like I mean it's up and you know um, you know not lounging around in our you know pants. Right. Like you, you got right because otherwise like if nothing's happening in the world, that stuff can then affect you to so like well what can I do? So that there's nothing I can do. Like the world is in an unprecedented uh, place. So then it's like you set those almost artificial goals, right? Let's get V1 of the product done. Let's do V1 of the brand. the decks. Um, who can we go speak to? And you don't know the answers to those questions until you figure them out. It didn't occur to us that every single enterprise with a global travel program, by and large who have more um, financial resilience than a lot of other clubs programs You know, all their staff had great travel programs and had time on their hands in a way they never did before so we did user research um, like you couldn't imagine and we got in front of clients that we never thought we would get in front of and lo and behold as a startup with zero budget suddenly we didn't have to fly anywhere and nail any pitches we did everything online um, we pushed boundaries absolutely everywhere uh, we created amazing Miro presentations If you don't know Miro, it's a wicked whiteboarding tool. Um, I think it's absolutely unparalleled in terms of its ability to convey visual messages and complement the pitch. Powerful. Like Excel spreadsheets are necessary, but boring, right? Like listening to me for uh, an hour and a half in a pitch, boring. So, how do you, as a founder, then go win those early sales?
1: That is amazing. And I think there arguably could not be a greater challenge to a travel business in its first few months than COVID. And the yeah. ultimate challenge that you've got no control over. And no control. so inspiring that you took that and you somehow managed to turn that into an advantage by moving your meetings online, by, you know, setting yourself small goals to make sure your business was really fit for growth when things did come back, and by using it for user research and to get in front of people you never would have got in front of. So yeah, that's a absolute lesson in resilience amazing um and where, where are you at today so from those kind of early kind of challenges and and you know bumps in the road what talk me through the picture of thrust carbon today head count clients you know where are you at
0: Yep. We're at 14 people. Uh, we have clients that range from the likes of Novartis through to S&P Global, Toyota. Um, essentially, we have a global client base of some of the most respected enterprise brands in the world, all of whom we're helping drive their net zero strategy uh, through data. Right? Yeah, it's all about how do we um, measure the impact of your program? How do we reduce that? How do we drive travel behavior? Um, we've got nudge tools. Uh, again, very laser focused on our core products, which is our thrust calculator. But then again, always building. Building on top of that, as any good SaaS business should be doing, and you know we, we struggle between focus on one and expanding the others. Um, we also have uh, uh, kind of data uh, via API, so point of search emissions. So that's now powering fifty-two billion dollars worth of travel spend annually, which is awesome. And you know we are absolutely growing at a rapid speed. So yeah, always looking for new people to re- uh, recruit, which is awesome. We, sound like we literally don't have a marketing department, right? Uh, so. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it will be me that will put out some of my social about this uh, at some point. Um, yeah, I'm excited to get ahead of people. That, for me, is going to be a game changer. Like someone whose entire focus is ensuring our, our whole team are you know, feel valued, that every day they turn up, they're pumped, they're, they're ready to take on the climate crisis and, and build amazing tech or, or help support our clients or, or do the marketing behind it whatever it might be um, to get us to net zero as fast as possible because that's literally all we spend our time thinking about.
1: Yeah. And what is the biggest? So in those early days, COVID being a big challenge. But today, what's the biggest challenge? Is it that piece about growth and scaling and people and culture? Or is there something else that's keeping you awake at night?
0: Yeah, um, definitely. I'd say we're at that stage where, you know, both both my partner and I are good executors. Right. Like we we like that side of things. And also, I should say, we are really fundamentally diametrically opposed as well both personality types uh skill sets um and that is great like we have conflict but in such a healthy way right and it is always it's always resolved into outcomes and why we're doing it and what that means to the business um and again like drill home with massive amounts of positivity right like so it's that ability to disagree and then go in this case like you know cherry we're going to go with you because like i fundamentally like whilst i want to do what i want to do I, I get your logic and i think you've got better insights on this so we're going to go your approach and if you're wrong, then we double down on my one later down the line. That's fine. That's just part and parcel of it. There's no, there's no egos, right? Um, and um, yeah, I think you get a lot more egos in your in your early twenties, and in your in your thirties, there's a lot more like I haven't got time for that. Like I'm just I'm just here to make this work, right? Yeah. Uh, and again, like there's so many um, data points and trends in terms of uh, older founders being, or um, there being a higher proportion of success in older founders. Um, I certainly feel. Very different in terms of my skills and attitudes to when I was in my 20s. Um, yeah. I've upped both my impatience and my patience, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I, I, lean, I lean into each one more rather than perhaps um, being too quick to move to one or the other in the wrong environment.
1: And harness Sometimes the benefits of both, right? There's, there's a real benefit to impatience if channeled in the right way.
0: Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, but yeah in terms of that challenge, it is it is taking things off of mine and Kit's plate and ensuring the team can then lead it forwards. And it's almost easier when the new projects the team own and lead. It's different when you're, like, halfway through something and it's like, I need someone else to take this on um, or I need to move over here. But then you're like, I still need to see this and touch this and – um and so forth but again like you hire great people and it makes it so much easier uh, and, and, and having just done our all hands we spent a long time talking about trust trust versus performance and um, how much more we value trust what that actually looks like how you practice that how you develop that nurture that and um yeah, that was really awesome. Really
1: enjoyed that. And that's a really interesting transition phase for a business, isn't it? As a business quote unquote grows up, when it goes from it being you and Kit, driving it, making all the decisions, it's your baby, to actually to turn this into a proper business. Um, actually we need to delegate, we need to pass ownership and autonomy down to scale it and turn it into something. But that's difficult to let that control go, I imagine.
0: It is, and, and, and to a degree, almost sad in one level because like there are some things that I just enjoy doing and, and and getting done. But then it's so exciting on the other side because then like you know a couple of weeks go past and someone says, "Hey, this has happened, and this has happened, and this has happened." I'm like, I had no idea we were working on that. That's awesome, great work. What's the next step? What do you need me for? Uh, you know, nothing. Great. Uh, and, I, and I think that's it. get a good challenge. Like you know, we've had some people in the team join from really established um, corporate um entities and it's you know consistently reminding them it's like you are never going to step on anybody's toes doing work or taking things off their plate you're only going to make them happier taking things off people's plate and that is a fundamental difference to if you're in a more political environment where it's like i need to be seen to deliver this i need to uh, get this done or whatever it might be let's just say all companies are like that or all workers like that but, um some certainly can be uh, and um yeah. And and with that, sorry, I'm conscious of time. I'm yes, about to no, run away the spend a little bit. Yes. No,
1: of course. I've just got three quick fire questions, if that's okay. Oh, yes, as quickly as possible. So you what would your top piece of advice be for somebody that's thinking about setting up their own business? <laughs>
0: yeah, um, get out, just get out and about, like whatever it is, go meet people, go pick up the phone, um, immerse yourself in, in in that industry, in that niche, like go to trade shows or Go to where people hang out. Go to any event you can, online, offline. Um, yeah, and, and building those early interpersonal relationships are so, so important. So you've got to meet people. You've got to figure stuff out.
1: Amazing. And which business or sustainability role model do you wish you could have just one hour in a room with? Question, sorry.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. Um, oh, God, and um, I don't know, this feels like almost like a lazy answer, but uh, for me, I, it would be Gates. Um, what, what, like, the first off, I've been a fan of the Gates Foundation. Uh, for a very, very long time, um, their former client, I love everything that they do, their power, their scale, their ability to take a problem and then go, okay, we are going to, like, once we see solutions, we're going to throw money into it and we're going to pump it in and we're going to inject it and fuel it until we can fix that. And and again, like, like, when I think of them, I think of, you know, actually eradicating things like TB, malaria, uh, that final... Uh, polio you know these things are making a resurgence because other people don't want to make that massive investment that the final one or five to one percent requires um yeah they don't get nearly enough credit and obviously he's a as close to a genius i think as they come um and you know who knows maybe we'd ask him to invest
1: there you go perfect great answer at least And, (laughs) and what is one quick lifestyle change that you could recommend to listeners to help them live more sustainably
0: Oh, yeah, really good one. And so I'll keep the travel focus because that's that's essentially what we do. Um, You know, first and foremost, offsetting is like a necessary the half measure like it's not going to get us net zero but it's better than not doing it at all mm. um and then when you do travel think about how you travel more sustainably take fewer flights maybe maybe it's when you do fly can you take an alternative transport um, even driving around the a city like how do you car share get other people involved you name it so think about your travel footprint
1: amazing i'll let you skedaddle and pitch thank you so much for awesome. your time that's been amazing
0: thank you so much you take care and thank you for watching everybody
1: bye mark okay well thank you so much guys for listening that was phenomenal um yeah incredibly inspirational and hopefully um you all learned a lot i know i definitely did um about just the importance of getting out there um i think he's one of the people i've spoken to who's shown from like a really early age the importance of just getting out there saying yes meeting people um and just learning to fail at a young age just seems like it's been immeasurably important for him um so i really hope you enjoyed that conversation i did thank you for listening please follow the show to be noted of all future episodes we've also saved videos of all of our interviews over on the above and beyond youtube channel Check out the show notes to find the links to this and links to all of the resources mentioned on today's show. See you next week.